Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Uh, first, though, we are going to have conversation with our buddy Greg Fish. Fish is here. Hey, Fish. How's it going? Welcome back to the program, sir. It's nice to hear you. I'm glad you're here. Now, in our discussions uh, leading up to this uh, program here, we were going to have a bit of a science lesson today. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. What's going on in the, the world of weirdthings.com and the world of uh, weird inside Greg Fish's head? Okay, let's stay out of the ladder. Let's let's just stick to the former. The ladder's a little too dark. I too might dark. need some puppets involved. Let's let's, let's, let's just not. Let's leave oh, that. Oh man, <laughs> that let's leave that weird. alone. <laughs> well, I, you asked for weird. I, that that's what I'm here to deliver. Yeah, it is. It's the world of weirdthings.com where you can see Greg Fish's articles, and um, you know, uh, we space is one of those things that I've really been. Uh, learning more about it probably the last six months actually you know what i think i was inspired mostly by i went to the um, national aviation museum in at dulles in uh, just outside washington dc and that's where they have um discovery the space shuttle there and they've got all kinds of satellites and all kinds of crazy things there. the canada arm is there um it's a wicked place to go and it really re-inspired the conversation about space for me and um, so I followed some people on the Twitter and I've been reading some articles and stuff like that. Now, there's more that goes on in space that we really understand. I think that we all remember our planetary solar system models that we made out of styrofoam balls in school and and all that stuff. But I'm not quite sure that people really understand how fantastic it is. So where do you want to go today, Greg? So today, one of the things that I, that I wanted to do is so nowadays i've been uh, i've been trying to figure out what are some of the more interesting things like how can i how can i keep it weird and 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 come up with something interesting uh every week and one of the things that i was reminded of um for a long list of a long list of reasons uh was a sci-fi book by ivan yefamov who's uh who was a soviet sci-fi author during the golden age of sci-fi so uh just a quick little side note. Uh, a lot of times when people talk about Russian literature, they, they focus on Dostoevsky, they focus on Anna Karenina, on Brothers Karamazov, you know, very depressing <laughs> literature about, uh, about uh, how life never really works out. Um, yeah, but there's a very. Well, before you move on to that, Greg, let, let's just acknowledge the fact that, you, I mean, your family, you, you have ties there. So th this is really in your world. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I grew up, I grew up reading all of this, but there's also a very large body of, um, there's a, also a very large body of, um, Soviet science fiction writers, uh, who wrote some, some really amazing stuff. Uh, so the book in particular is called The Andromeda Nebula or Tomanes Andromeda. Um, and you can basically find it anywhere translated into English. And there's a episode, uh, there's a small part of it where the crew crash lands on a planet that orbits a neutron star. And there's these creatures living there. that are basically energy vampires because they're trying to survive the harsh icy desert that's orbiting around this, this active neutron star. And most people would look at it and say, well, neutron stars are basically dead stars. They're what happens when a star implodes and leaves behind this corpse that's 
too that's that's too heavy to really implode into uh, too heavy to remain a star, uh, but too small to implode into a black hole. Um, and there's absolutely no way that there's planets around it. But funny enough, the first planets that have ever been found orbiting other stellar objects have been found around active neutron stars that are known as pulsars. And, oh, pulsars, I know that. Okay. Yeah, and and one of the things that I started that I started thinking about is that well, how much cool stuff have I written about discoveries of neutron stars and what neutron stars can do and what's inside of them and what kind of weird phenomena has been detected from them? And I realized that there's a lot of stuff out there that is really cool and really fascinating, but it never really gets put together in the same place uh, because they usually get. Um, they usually get completely overshadowed by black holes. They're kind of like this this neglected middle child where everyone talks about giant stars and everyone talks about black holes, but very few people talk about neutron stars and some of the weird, incredible things that happen there. So one of my, uh, probably one of my favorite um, aspects of, of, of neutron stars is that um, they have earthquakes, well, quakes, technically speaking, um, and because they're so dense, now a, a, a typical star that implodes into a neutron star can swallow the Earth millions of times over. But if you took a neutron star and you dropped it into a city, it would very comfortably fit because they're only maybe about 20 kilometers across or so. So they're very tiny. They spin very quickly due to the conservation of momentum. There's absolutely extreme pressure that has way too many zeros to even really make sense as, as numbers to be presented to us. So sometimes that stress creates quakes. And in those quakes, the crust of this neutron star might move maybe a centimeter or so, but that translates into a 32 on a Richter scale. Whoa. If the Earth... If the Earth shook that much, there would be no Earth. That is enough energy that the sun couldn't produce enough of it for a quarter of a million years in order to add up to the energy that's being released. And we know that this happened because it actually rattled our instruments from 50,000 light years away, Whoa. literally halfway across the galaxy. Okay, so... I guess what I find most confusing is if it's already dead, why is it so alive? That you know that that is actually a really great question, and nobody really knows. That's that's the really interesting part of it. There's so many mysteries about it because imagine taking a nuclear explosion, condensing it to something that's like the size of a salt crystal, and at the same time also shooting out of a cannon as you do. And that's basically a neutron star. And how does this not collapse? How does this actually stay together? There's still so many questions and so many mysteries that, so I honestly, there's no real answer to your question here. No, nobody knows. We're still trying to figure that out. Hmm. Okay. Um, so when we look at all of these pieces, um, do we just not understand what's, what's truly going on out in space. I mean, when kids learned about space in school, they learn about um, all of the planets and then they make a joke about Uranus and then, and then that's about it. Do, are we just not getting taught 
enough in school about what's really going on here? I think we have the access. We, I, I mean, I've, I've learned about neutron stars when I was in school, and I learned about black holes when I was in school. We, we do teach it, but the way that we teach it is very much here, memorize this to regurgitate it on a test, and then you won't need to know this. Right. So that's kind of a bit of a problem when it comes to a lot of scientific topics because there's so many things that are still unknown. There's so many things that are really fascinating when you start like really looking into them uh, that really it, it, it shortchanges people of the, the, the wonder of discovery and, and learning and figuring things out. Um, and we need that now more than ever because as a lot of things in our world change, you know, due to automation, due to climate change, due to all the, all the things that are happening right now, uh, this is the time for us to learn things for the sake of learning things, to appreciate knowledge for the sake of knowledge, to draw out different connections uh, for the sake of drawing out different connections. Because, I mean, one of the one of the more bizarre things about World of Weird Things is that I did not know that I would be writing all this stuff. This was a time when I needed to I needed to pay rent, and I knew how to make websites, and I knew a lot of popular science facts. And I just started writing and it started working. So you never know what kind of knowledge is going to come in handy. So one of the reasons why I, I wrote the article that I wrote and, and listening to like all the, all the cool stuff about neutron stars and what they can do and the fact that we can use them to navigate into deep space one of these, uh, one of these millennia in the future, uh, and, and the, the extreme physics that they house is just to try and, inspire people and have them think about well isn't there's isn't there a lot of like really cool stuff in space that i may have not really looked into but i could easily learn more about it or i could easily try and, and look into some other stuff that interests me and all of this is just a search away all of this is just a click away uh there's just a lot of fascinating stuff out there and what can we do to to make people more interested in engaging with that are we are we learning more from movies uh, than we are from science class at this point? I mean, because if you look at um, Interstellar and you look at Martian and all these sort of newer last few years movies uh, without Armageddon and all those, it seems to me that we're learning more from Hollywood. And maybe this is a statement about life. We're learning more from Hollywood than we are science class. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Um Although with you know with Interstellar and with Martian, uh, they're what's known as hard science fiction, where they they actually the authors have really tried to make things as close to reality as they possibly can, uh, with the goal of, well, with a twofold goal. First is inspiring people and teaching them uh, a little bit about these phenomena that and these places that fascinate them, but then also to show what. You, what would what it would be really like to be close to a black hole or to be stranded on Mars? Like, what is it? How can you use science, like actual real science, to drive the story? Because if you start looking at some of these environments out there and say, okay, what actually works in them and what doesn't work in them, you start composing an entire story. Your your world kind of gets built by itself and all of your limitations and all of your opportunities really start coming into focus. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of room for you to start getting really creative as 
a fiction author. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd be curious if there was a, a way we could do it where we could sort of look at the things we see every day when we, uh, when we look at politics or news stories or whatever, and we're able to identify and just say, you know what, I, I have this idea of what that should be, and I got it from a movie. I mean, it seems to me that there bet you that's a long list if we could somehow figure that out. Because, you know, all the way back to, oh, geez, man, as far as you can possibly imagine between, you know, Contact. I mean, that was a good show. Um, even Spaceballs, you know, there's and that doesn't even include like the Star Trek and all those. So it, it is an interesting notion. So black holes, though. Black holes, like we don't even know what's on the other side, right? Like this could be like the Truman Show for all we know. Well, that that's the that's the thing. There may be no other side because here's a, here's another interesting thing. So when it comes to black holes, black holes are essentially stars that have collapsed in on themselves because they are just there's just so much mass there they can't escape their own gravity when they die. And one of the more interesting things that happens is that sometimes you are supposed to get a black hole, but you don't. You get a neutron star instead, or at least we think that, that, that that's the case based on some very interesting but still rather you know controversial data from radio astronomy. So you get this neutron star that just because it's so it's moving so quickly, it hasn't fully collapsed, and then it eventually loses its fight with gravity and collapses inwards. So what that tells us is that there's probably there probably is no real other side it's just you know very insane physics and at some point those physics just start acting differently than everything that we know and understand well there will be a day when someone has to pull the short straw and uh no uh billy you go first no you go first and someone's going to try to pass through so it'll be interesting to to get there um, Greg Fish, thank you very much. Um, since we talked about Soviet era fiction writers, uh, we we wouldn't be able to finish the segment unless we uh, said Nazdorovie. So thank you. <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> Greg Fish, theworldofweirdthings.com. Uh, you can check out all of his articles, including this as well. Uh, you know, it's it is it's all weird, man. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, we need to do this little thing that we like to talk about, and you can be in on it too. It's called Are You Okay? Are you okay with aggressive interviews? I don't know what that means. Um, I sort of I imagine that like somebody who's like running up in the street and shoving a microphone in your face. Talk to me now. Yeah. Uh, or, that's how I hear it. Yeah. Or like, you know, someone's having a sit down interview and they're just like hammering them with questions about, you know, stuff that's none of their business. Yeah. That's what I thought about. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, oh, okay. Like, like just pushing it into the privacy world. Yeah. Or, or just, just shouting at them, you know, just, right. <laughs> just being ridiculous. Okay, cool. Um, that's kind of how I hear it too. I mean, I'm clearly not okay with them. I think that conversation should be good conversation. New Zealand TV journalist Tova O'Brien has been praised for her, her interview with advanced New Zealand party co-leader, Jamie Lee Ross. Um, Ross began to question the mortality rate of COVID-19. O'Brien cut him off. So let's hear. What do you think? Is this aggressive? 
Politics. Former National MP Jamie Lee Ross is out of Parliament. The Advance NZ co-leader joins me now. Jamie Lee, you just described yourself as a loser. You are out of National, out of Parliament, out of Botany. Your political career is in tatters. Do you have any regrets? Look, we gave it a good go uh, this time round. Uh, we put together a new party we, in just a few months' time. Uh, we only gathered 1% uh, of the vote. It clearly wasn't enough, but I've enjoyed the opportunity to work with all the people that I have with Advance New Zealand. Do you want to have another crack at answering that? Because I just ask you if you have any regrets. You've just been um, part of a political movement which has been peddling misinformation during the election campaign. Do you have any regrets? No, I think we were asking some hard questions about the direction of COVID-19. If you're asking about regrets throughout the whole three-year term, of course, we could have all done things a lot differently and a lot better back in 2018. But we're here now, um, we made our bed and we just moved I want forward. To I want to focus on the strategy. Look, why, why on earth did you get into bed with Billy Tekahika? I could see that there was a lot of growth on social media. There was a lot of growth in the t number of people coming so along and looking at it. purely political ambition. No, I you could sold see, your soul I for could, political I could, ambition. I could see that there was uh, people out there who were asking questions around things that I believe in too, around freedom and sovereignty uh, for New Zealand. And a but, pandemic. No, that is nothing. I've never said that, Tova. You haven't, but he that. has. I've never said that. COVID-19 is a real virus, and we were asking questions about whether the country was going in the right direction. You know exactly what you were doing. You were whipping up fear and hysteria among vulnerable communities. Not at all. If you go and look at the mortality rate of COVID-19 compared to other um, flu epidemics... I'm going to stop. No, I'm not, I don't, so, I don't so, want to so, hear, so, I don't want to hear any well, of... Totally, I don't want to hear any of that rubbish. Just, what are you... what are, me that and not allow me to answer. Well, so. if you're going to come on, if you're going to come on the show and say things which are just factually incorrect. I can do that, actually. Uh, okay, so I don't think that's aggressive. I think that's accountable and awesome. And also, because it's in New Zealand, if that's an aggressive interview, oh, man, that's right? that's delightful. <laughs> they just sound like they're just, you know, over coffee. They're not, you know, not getting especially was, fired up about this. Well, I was going to ask you, Matt, if you could help us understand, um, because they talked about their new party there. And I was wondering if you could uh, help us understand the difference between a New Zealand accent and an Australian accent, especially when it comes to words like party. Can you help us understand the difference? Party. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the example is, you know, an Australian will be like, where's the car? And a New Zealander will be like, where's the car? Clear. So, so yeah, like different, different accents, right? Totally. And party kind of falls into that. So, yeah, it's I like, get that. Yeah, an Australian will be like, where's the party? And uh, mm -hmm. New Zealand will be like, where's the party? Totally, right. totally different. Totally, totally different. different. Got it. Thank you very much. Okay. I always, uh, Matt's always there to help us understand uh, the accent and sort of translate it from time to time. So I really appreciate that. Um, it's not aggressive when somebody is um, holding somebody accountable for not answering questions. In fact, I, I'm actually more offended that we just called it aggressive when that's the way it's supposed to go. As a political person who's potentially applying for a job to work for the community, you get paid to answer the questions of the community, not the party. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I saw that on Twitter. Um, I saw it on Twitter um, yesterday, and it was actually it was pretty split. Obviously, uh, right wing and left wing um, type politics on Twitter, um, and it was actually the saw the some people from the right were calling it uh, uber aggressive, and uh, journalists should hold hold themselves to a different standard. Um, and others on the left side of the um, political spectrum were calling it um an excellent um interview um so uh call it what you will um but um but yeah i actually uh, really enjoyed the way she um handled uh that accountability side from that politician there mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, yeah, I mean, I would love to see more of it in general, right? Um, I don't think that the media or anybody for podcasts or the media or the, the sort of media adjacent people um, do anybody a service by surrounding themselves with agreeability. Is that a word? Agreement. Um, yeah, uh, Nance says, I'd like to have her fly over here and interview our prime minister. Um, I mean, th these, these are the kinds of things that I think people really want to see. I think to go as so far that if that were to happen more often in Canada, um, Canadians would subscribe to what the media is doing more often because every time that talking points become the norm, I don't think we do anybody a service. Um, it's like free advertising really. And, and in the, we don't let businesses do it. Right. I mean, from time we'll bring businesses on the show here to promote good business and ideas, but we don't let the media doesn't let a business come on and just basically shamelessly sell themselves yet. Um, this is what a political party is doing. So in general, I think that's a good reminder for, for all of us, uh, to, to ask harder questions and, and, um, and be ready for the answers. Anyway, she seemed really prepared. I think she did a great job. Okay. Are you okay? Are you okay with moose soccer? So, how well, how many are on the team? How many meese? Yeah, how many mooses or whatever the <laughs> plural is. I don't know. I've never known and I never will. Um, are on the team. Is it just or is it just one? Is it uh, is it a gaggle of, of mooses? Yeah, is it a gaggle or is it just one moose on a team of humans against another team of humans? Well, this is the thing with the word, Matt. It's the way are you okay goes. It's that it's moose is the word. Okay. Are you okay with moose playing soccer? So you're going to have to decide, buddy. So I'm clearly overthinking this. No, okay? you're not. I don't think you're overthinking it. I'm just, you're going to have to make a decision, though, buddy. I'm okay because I think it, you know, why restrict sports to humans? Okay, there you go. That's where you're hearing it from. Jason Manalis? Yeah, agreed. I think um, it'll be a very uh, clumsy game of soccer, but um, yeah, I'm, I, I want to see it. All right. So this is a video that, um, that, um, that came out on Twitter and, uh, Brittany underscore spins was the, 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 twi the Twitter account that shared this, this video. And now it's hard to hear, but I'm going to try to explain what happens in the, in the moose video. Uh, because if you don't have access to the internet quickly, we're trying to explain this. So, uh, here's the clip and here's what happened with moose playing soccer. <laughs> We had to stop soccer because there was a moose. Turns out he just wanted to play. Did he score? So it's a soccer pitch. It's a bunch of people hanging out playing soccer. And they started to back off because um, this moose showed up on the field. And the moose walked over to the ball, the soccer ball, and kicked it and started playing soccer with this group of people. Now, the scary thing is, is that then they started sort of reapproaching the moose and playing with the moose a little bit. Um, but the video is worth watching. I'll tweet it out again. Um, because imagine that it's a soccer pitch. People are just playing soccer, not like a big organized game, just kind of kicking the ball around. A moose shows up and just starts kicking the ball. It's like something out of a movie, but it's actually just a real moose. Absolutely worth it. Yes. It's a miniature horse playing soccer. So cute. 
I don't know if it's a miniature horse. I mean, mooses are tall, man. Mooses, moose are tall. Yeah. <sighs> well, I think that te- that text from Catherine says if it's miniature horses playing soccer, oh. so cute. Fair enough. Thank you for the clarification. No problem. Um, moose, no plural. The plural of moose is moose. Thought so. Jason. Thought so. Really? so. I don't think that was Jason's, but uh, Jason, you just took the bullet for that one. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Hank Fordham is a hacker, white hat hacker, and the difference between a white hat hacker and a black hat hacker is one guy does it for good, one guy does it for bad. Guy. Look at me. Person. How's it going, Hank? Not too bad, Shane. How how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, Concerning, of course, that Canada would be a target. If you looked at politics and geopolitics in and around Canada and all that stuff, um, it would kind of make sense that Canada would be a target for hackers. Why not? We're kind of like the the friendly neighbor. We're like the Ned Flanders of North America. Yeah, I I actually read a comment the other day. I was reading comments on uh, the Dr. Phil video that I was in, actually, and they were talking about how, like, we're too nice. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of true though. Like it, I mean, if you think about it, just from the perspective of Canada, right? Like why if we think that America is going to be a target and we're their biggest trading partner and their neighbor, why wouldn't you, any marketing strategy in the world says flank them and, um, and go after the neighbor. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm not surprised by the notion that Canada would be a target for hacking. Um, what does that start to look like, Hank? Well, I, I mean, we, we saw the communication security establishment said that they're concerned over reports of a series of global malicious cyber campaigns on Monday, and that some of the activities are kind of examples of the Russian military's willingness to target critical infrastructure and international organizations. But I, I think it's also an example of how they're willing to target citizens directly. And what, one example of this is is phishing campaigns directed at raising funds. Like there, there's been a huge increase recently in malicious campaigns targeted at collecting financial information. And I've seen hints of these coming from both Russian entities and Chinese groups. And and the activities can also include things like nation states spying on each other using malware. I guess a good, but kind of outdated example of that would be Stuxnet. Uh, but we, we also see um, a, a lot of medical centers continuing to be attacked, like the one on universal health services we saw in September where they were hit by ransomware and and just kind of the, the raise in, in attacks on medical centers and, and just things like, you know, things that we've seen a lot already and we'll probably see more of with the election coming up are hacking leaks where a group will just hack a target and dump critical or private information, uh, trying to compromise their public image somehow. Russia is pretty well known for doing things like this with their advanced persistent threat groups. Mm-hmm. Like, are these are these groups that are literally like hanging out like this is this is all they do? is hack into stuff because I mean your history uh, with hacking and how it came to the forefront of your life was you were trying to let people know that, you know, that bad guys were hacking into their personal cameras, their home security system, stuff like that. Now this is a much larger scale. Is this like, I imagine like a, uh, a factory or is it just um, a bunch of dudes in their parents' basement? Oh no, dude, you're exactly right on the dot. And on both both sides of the scale. Like the the scary thing for me is 
when I was growing up, my kind of, uh, I guess, battle was trying to warn the end user against the end user. So like, I don't know, warning um, someone that, you know, someone else that was sitting in their basement or, you know, for lack of a better expression, had had compromised them. But now you have to worry about, like, state-sponsored groups, which can get, like, pretty scary because there's so much funds being, like, pumped into them. And they're, like, if, if you look at Russia's hacker groups or their, their cyber armies, if you will, they're they're so careless, destructive and, and malicious in the way that they act with collateral damage and just out of spite for a little bit of like tactical advantage. So this is, what's the way to describe it? Very well-crafted, intentional and deliberate. Oh yeah. And I, and and I think that, you know, with, like the crazy thing is it's, it's, yeah, it's not only foreign entities partaking in these activities, but it's also local ones like right here at home, like, especially with the COVID pandemic, the extra time to practice these things, like putting together a phishing campaign or making malware kind of allows or invites a whole new wave or generation of cyber criminals to come out of the work, so to say. And, and I can only hope cybersecurity professionals as well. Hmm. So what does that look like? I mean, this sounds like a lot of work. People go and they, you know, they build a software program, then they've got to build an email list. They've got to do that. Is it that detailed or is it much easier than that? Oh, dude, it's like self-serve. You can, I mean, you can go on Google and find uh, tutorials on how to create a phishing campaign. I, I hate to inspire anyone, but I mean, I've I've personally seen so many phishing campaigns recently. One one really big one that I'm sure some of like your listeners have have seen, or at least heard of recently, is a Facebook phishing campaign that targeted users uh, with what looked like a YouTube video saying, "Look what I found," yeah. uh, which would ask them to sign in and eventually ask them for credit card info. Yeah, and it looks like you're in the video, right? Yeah, and uh, another um, another one that I noticed was just a text message that had texted people warning them about a potentially expiring e-transfer. And same thing, it, it just harvested credit card de- details, but this time they were publicly visible on the server, so you could actually see them. And it, it it's because of things like this, I've created kind of like a, a new email, hmm. if uh if you or anyone wants to send me or feel free to send me your most interesting or devious phishing emails you get, you could send them to me at fish at centuriondefense.ca. Fish is with a PH and defense is with a CE. But, uh, yeah. And so yeah. Centurion Defense is an organization that goes, provides this where Hank works and it, you know, they go to businesses and help protect them, find the vulnerabilities, so on and so forth. So that part's okay. So it seems to me like it's less work to be the bad guy than it is to be the good guy today, Hank. Yeah, exactly. That's a scary notion. Yeah. And I, and I think with, with, you know, the deep web just growing more and more every day, uh, things like, like, like I was saying, things like that, that self-serve malware just get easier and easier to access. And, 
and learning how to use these self-serve pieces of malware and et cetera, just become easier and easier to do. And I, I think, uh, I think one big thing that listeners can take home with them today or tonight is use two factor authentication and try not to reuse passwords. You know, the, the talk me and you always have about, uh, what, what kind of, what, what qualifies as a strong password or passphrase and should we even still be using them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it gets scary because people are like, well, I don't want facial recognition. Or I don't want my fingerprint out there. So exactly. Right? And with, with masks and everything, it just, it's a huge battle, like a never ending battle. Hmm. Well, I wish it was good news, Hank, when we had you on the radio uh, today, it's not the global news piece is out there about foreign actors meddling in Canada. It's remarkable. And um, we're seeing it. Can you do us a favor, Hank? And uh, keep an eye out there and let us know if you see any other info that we should know about that we can pass on. Yes, sir. And I, I, you know what? I like to think that Canada is slowly becoming a leader in cybersecurity and in our our kind of ever-evolving planet. So Hmm. while while, while it's worrying, I have have faith. I'm going to trust you because I struggle with it, to be honest. Um, I find it more and more concerning every day. Thanks, Hank. Thank you, Shane. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.